0: On this second special edition of Transit Unplugged UITP CEO Roundtable, I'm able to get into a good long conversation with some of the top transit leaders in the world. You're going to love this special edition as we interviewed these CEOs from transit systems in places like Vancouver, Canada, the CEO there Kevin Desmond of TransLink, one of the most innovative transit systems in North America and the world. David Stackrow, who is chairman of the American Public Transportation Association, he's also uh, on the board of the Capital District Transportation Authority in Albany, New York. And Paul Scatellis, who's president and CEO of APTA, the American Public Transportation Association. He and David had just returned from a week-long mission at transit systems around Europe, and they both talk about their experiences and what they learned at those systems. I'm also happy that Brad Thomas was able to join us on this special panel at UITP. Brad is the president of First Transit and First Vehicle Services, one of the largest public transportation contract providers in North America with over 19,000 employees. He's a good friend who also authored a chapter in my book Full Throttle. And Stefan Kult, the CEO of a transit system in Switzerland, joined us. You'll find this in-depth look and over hour long show, I think a special edition of Transit Unplugged.
1: What does it mean to be a successful public transit agency?
2: What are you doing to lead the way? It's time to learn from the top transit professionals in North America.
1: This is Transit Unplugged with your host, Paul Comfort.
0: I'm Paul Comfort, the host of Transit Unplugged, the top transit podcast worldwide now, interviewing transit CEOs. And today is a live version of our podcast. If you'd like to find out more about the podcast, you can go to com or on your Spotify app or Google Play or even uh, Apple iTunes. The app is available. The... Uh podcast is available on all those apps. And today we've got a special, um, special treat for you. Five CEOs uh, from around the world who are going to talk to you about their lives, their careers, their transit operations, and what the future of mobility holds. So let's go ahead and get started with introductions. Uh, our first guest is Kevin Desmond, who is uh, head of a major transit system up in Canada, TransLink in Vancouver. He's going to be talking to us about, they got some great new projects. He's very prolific on LinkedIn like I am And uh, got a lot of projects going on up there that you're going to want to hear about. Let's give him a round of applause. Thank you for being here. Next is Brad Thomas, who's president of First Transit, also a co-author with me of our book, Full Throttle. And uh, Brad uh, oversees all the operations in the Americas for First Transit. Thank you for being with us, Brad. It's an honor to have with us David Stackrow, who is chairman of APTA, the American Public Transportation Association, and also chairman of his own transit board uh, up in Albany, New York, the state capital. Thank you for being with us today. (laughs) And uh, another superstar, Paul Scatellis, who is CEO of APTA, the American Public Transit Association, has a long career as a CEO of transit systems around America. Thank you so much for being here today. And finally from Europe, Stefan Kalt, who is CEO of a transit system which I can't pronounce, and he can tell you all about it when we get to him there in the Switzerland. Thank you so much for being here. All right, so first we'll start right here. Kevin, why don't you tell us a little about yourself and about your transit system?
1: Sure. And uh, thanks for inviting me on this august paddle of, of my colleagues. Um, I'm the CEO of TransLink, uh, also known as the South Coast British Columbia Transportation Authority, uh, based in Vancouver, British Columbia. We, we represent 23 different Municipalities, a population of about two and a half million. Uh, we've got an extraordinary uh, transit system. Uh, ridership is growing by leaps and bounds. In fact, we've led uh, North American ridership growth over the last three years, something like um, 18% uh, growth in ridership. Uh, the demand for our system is, is absolutely outstanding. Our performance metrics uh, really uh, tell the tale as well, the utilization of our buses uh, and trains and, and so forth. And it's a region in North America that, that's a little bit unusual with with the the intense density of transit oriented development um, around our system, and that does very much drive um, our utilization. I'm sure I'll get into it later, but we're in the midst of a very very significant uh, expansion program. I've, my career in this industry has spanned the East Coast to the West Coast. I'm originally from New York, and I started my my career actually working for the City of New York. Uh, two years I worked uh, at the New York City Taxi and Limousine Commission. So as we Talk about ride hailing and ride sharing now, back in the 1980s, we were chasing gypsy cabs and trying to license gypsy cabs back in the day, and, and gypsy vans and so forth, uh, we've come a long way. Uh, I did become the head of operations planning at New York City Transit for five years where I started my transit career, then transitioned to the West Coast, worked for a small uh, transit agency in the in the Seattle area, then was 12 years as the general manager of King County Metro Transit in Seattle, when we saw blossoming of public transportation in that region, the the beginnings of the light rail network, streetcars in Seattle. We launched uh, six BRT routes uh, while I was at at King County Metro. We launched our, our smart card system. So a lot of developments, and it primed me very much for getting up to Vancouver just about three years ago. Thank you. I can't
0: wait to talk to you about ridership growth and what your keys were for that. So, Brad Thomas, tell us a little about yourself and what you guys do in, in the Americas.
2: Certainly. Uh, Brad Thomas, I'm the president of First Transit. We're one of uh, five divisions of First Group. We operate fixed route systems, paratransit systems, university, airport shuttles, call centers, a little bit of everything. About 300 contracts, over 300 contracts in North America. 19,000 employees. Uh, we run about, uh, We carry about 350 million passengers a year. I've been in this position for about 10 years, running uh, First Transit. Prior to that, probably like everybody, I started with a small transit company in upstate New York. Did that for a couple of years. That grew to a big organization. Started with uh, that was Progressive, right? That was Progressive in uh, in New York State. That was uh, purchased as ha- what happens in this industry quite a bit. That was purchased by Coach USA, '96. Um, ultimately, I ran that the transit division for them. Um, we were acquired by First Group in 2003, and uh, I've been president since uh, 2000. 2009. So it's been quite a quite a career. Uh, and when did you all buy Laidlaw? We bought Laidlaw in uh, 2007. So that was quite a quite a large acquisition. Yeah, I would like to mention one of our clients is Cabinet uh, Translink. So uh, happy to be here, and thank you for being on the for uh, allowing me to be on the board today.
0: Excellent, thank you. Certainly. Very good. All right, David, tell us about yourself and your role, both as chairman of the overall association, APTA, but also your role that you play right there in Albany.
3: Well, thank you, Paul, and good afternoon. As Paul mentioned, I've been the board chair of APTA. This is a one-year term, so I uh, I became the board chair in September of uh, 2018, and my term will end in October of 2019. And I'll serve one more year as the immediate past chair, and then I'll kind of fade off into the sunset of APTA leadership. In my home system in Albany, New York, I was uh, appointed by the governor of New York State in 1995. So I'm in my 24th year as a governing board member. Uh, Volunteer capacity, we don't get paid as board members, uh, either for APTA or for uh, CDTA. Uh, In my full-time day job, I'm a CPA. I'm actually a managing partner of a small accounting firm in upstate New York. And a little bit about CDTA, we're a mid-sized system in the U.S. We serve the capital of New York State, Albany, and three other cities surrounding the capital. We have about a $90 million operating budget annually. We have 260 or so fixed-route buses and about 17 million trips annually. In 2017, I will note, we were the APTA mid-sized system of the year. We received that award, so we're very proud of that. And it's been a great run to be a board member of both uh, APTA and CDTA.
0: That's wonderful. We're going to ask him a little later to delve into the role of a board when it comes to transit systems in in North America. It's a little bit different than it is in other places around the world. And I'd like you to dig into that a little bit. Paul Scatella, CEO of APTA. Thank you, Paul. First of all, let me
4: thank you for convening us here today. It's always good to have at least two Pauls involved in a podcast, right? Can't be all bad. It can't be. Well, I'm one of those perhaps rare individuals who spent their entire career in public transportation. I'm currently, as you mentioned, the president and CEO of APTA, the American Public Transportation Association. We represent some 1,500 members, both public and private sector members. We represent the transit agencies from the largest of New York City to some very small bus systems all across the country. Uh, we also represent the supply side of the industry, including the engineering firms that help the industry grow and prosper and innovate. Very happy in that position. I've been there now 18 months. Uh, but prior to that, I spent a dozen years with Parsons Brinkerhoff and WSP on the engineering side their rail and transit business across the U.S. Before that, spent most of my years on the public agency side, leading agencies in Pennsylvania, Florida, and in New Jersey. So it's been a great run for me for all the years I've been involved. I tell uh, people every day that I talk to them, if you're a young person in this industry, this is the best time to be in the industry. There's the kind of change that we have never seen before. Change means great opportunity. And so excited to be here, and thank you for making the effort to invite us to be, be a participant in this session.
0: As you can tell, Paul's a high-energy guy and one of the only other guys I know that travels as much as I do, maybe a little bit more than I do. And uh, we're going to ask him to talk about some travels that they just went on. APTA just sponsored a mission where they visited several countries here in Europe and ended up here. And he's going to give us some of the findings that they had during that tour. Thank you
5: again, Paul. Stefan. Thanks for inviting me, and I'm really proud to be with such big shots from the transport industry. I'm from Switzerland, Stefan Kalt. I'm the CEO of a regional transport buses. We have just 60 buses, and our region is just 100,000 people, but we are very innovative, I guess, and we can talk later on on that. I was former with big companies like Motorola and Bosch and since now 15 years together with RVBV Re- Regional Public Transport within the region very close to Zurich. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for being here with us today. Let's give our whole group a round of applause. Wasn't that great? If you
0: just walked up, this is a CEO roundtable with uh, CEOs from around the globe. And let's go back to Kevin. Kevin leads the system in Vancouver, Canada called TransLink. And as he mentioned, TransLink has led North America in the growth ridership over the last several years under his leadership. He came right from there, from Seattle, another one of the systems that is leading America in ridership. Tell us how you do it, man.
1: It's easy. Just snap your fingers, you show up, and, and and you build it, and they will come. You know, people ask that all the time, and, and I think there are really actually just a whole variety of reasons. There is not one um, single reason. I think you start with a really, really good transit network. So there was obviously a fair amount of latent demand that for a variety of reasons in the years prior to about 2015 were not being tapped. 2014 and 15 were actually very green. Years uh, for Translinks before I there. uh, There was a lot of political controversy. Uh, There were some major system breakdowns on the Skytrain. We run an automated uh, 79-kilometer rapid transit system. Uh, And um, for a variety of uh, political reasons I won't get into, there was a uh, plebiscite, a referendum that had to go before the voters. It failed for reasons that had really nothing to do with public transportation and had to do with some other things. When I arrived on the scene, though, the, the organization was primed to begin to Um, blossom. We were just launching our our smart card uh, system by one of your competitors, we we won't name, and um, uh, three days after I arrived, so my luck was was supreme, the government of Canada, the Trudeau administration announced a major new infusion public transportation funding. It's kind of a first of its kind in Canada, you know, more or less like what USDOT in the United States has done with its transportation um, program over the many, many years. It reinvigorated Interest in and momentum for our transit system. We were able to start growing the system very quickly. We were renewing confidence in the system. That was part of my role to renew confidence. We were focused on the customer. We were focused on the basics of customer service on time performance, better information, on time, timely information associated with the system. We've been rolling out service improvements ever since with our Compass Smart Card system. Then in December of 2016, we opened up nine kilometers of new SkyTrain. We've been adding service on all of our modes, SkyTrain, bus, C-bus, and our paratransit service ever since. We've been introducing a variety of different customer amenities. For example, just about a year ago, enabled by our smart card system, we were one of the first in North America to op- uh, open open payments in our smart card system. You can tap with your chip-enabled credit card or your mobile wallet. It was built into our smart card system. We're now actually investigating how to translate uh, Transform the system into account-based processing. We know that's needed to get into the Moss world intensively. So excellent focus on customer service, relentless focus on customer service, better information for our customers, growing the system, and in a region that it embraces density around the system. And you know, my opening remarks, I, I made reference to that. That does make Vancouver somewhat unusual. If anyone's been to Vancouver, you see the incredible density around our SkyTrain network, and that is without a doubt helping to drive. One of the things we're beginning to look at is is, uh, land value capture. It's something, it's certainly in North America, can be somewhat controversial. It's even controversial in in the Vancouver region, even with the density we have around the region. But as we're going to continue to expand the system, we have to find other ways to fund it. I'll just lastly say we we have uh, funding, more or less, to expand our SkyTrain network fairly significantly. We're out to bid for a six-kilometer subway uh, extension of SkyTrain, and next year we'll be finishing a business case for another 17 kilometers of elevated uh, SkyTrain system. And finally, we're, we're starting our 30-year plan, uh, renewing. So a lot of the stuff around the hall today, the types of things that are going to show up in that 30-year plan. Our ridership is about $440 million per year. Our region's going to grow by about 40 or 50% over those 30 years. We're not building any more highways. It's all going to be in high-capacity transit and other new mobility services. Wow that's great, man. That's a mouthful. Thank it's you for a that. mouthful, yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right, Brad, let's ask you, um, so First Transit, uh, tell us about the company and how it operates here. You've got a couple divisions. You're a worldwide company. And then I want to ask you the question I told you I was going to ask you. I just got back from Great Britain, and they run bus service a little bit differently than we do here in America. Can you talk about that a little bit? But go ahead. Sure.
2: Sure. Uh, as I said, First Transit is one of uh, five divisions. We operate uh, a rail and a bus division in the UK, and we operate uh, Greyhound here in the... Uh, we're not here in the U.S. Yeah. Greyhound in the U.S., and we operate uh, the largest uh, yellow school bus uh, contracting uh, company in uh, North America as well. As I said, First Transit, uh, we operate all sorts of different types of transportation, fixed route, para, call centers, uh, shuttles. And uh, you're doing autonomous a little bit now, right? Yeah, we have about... Uh, we've been worked uh, We've worked on about... Eight different pilots for autonomous vehicles. Very exciting. I do think that uh, there's a, that, you know, there is a, it's a very exciting time to be in the industry, as Paul said. I don't think there's been a more exciting time uh, in this industry. Just amazing things are happening. You know, I like to say that I've been in this business for 25 years. For the first uh, 15, I think things changed very, very little, it seemed. At least looking back, they seemed like they changed very little. In the last 10 years, everything has changed. Yep. And then the advent of GPS and real time, and, uh, you know, the really has just made it an amazing uh, industry to work in. AV is something that uh, we're very, very excited about. Um, I think that, you know, obviously the, the future of AV um, uh, is going to be here very, very quickly. I think we're going to see, see that mostly probably, I, I think the first places we'll see it are probably in some closed campuses and things like that, maybe universities, airports, and then who knows from there. And that's great. Uh, but I also think there are some indirect things that are coming from AV which are really interesting, too, which is all of the all of the technology we're getting from that that's helping us in collision avoidance, fatigue issues with drivers, and all sorts of other... Uh, yes, very interesting. It's a very inter- interesting time to be involved in AV, and it's amazing to see what's going to be happening here in the future.
0: Yeah, so there's, you know... An AV, there's not just AV buses, obviously, right? So there's Tesla. Uber has uh, their own operation going. Google Waymo. As a matter of fact, we've got a representative here from Uber, Ellie Newman, back there. You want to wave your hand? She's in charge of uh, public transportation with Uber in the United States. Thanks for joining us here. Um, let me just ask. Uh, I'm going to skip over to Paul for a second. Paul, in the in the new mobility, which uh, Nat Ford helped guide APTA into, and you guys are continuing to do. What's the role, do you think, of transit agencies? working with companies like Uber and Lyft and taxi cabs, companies that weren't really traditionally considered transit, but are part of this new mobility ecosphere?
4: Yeah, Paul, I think it's a great question. First of all, as an industry utter view of our role and the evolving role that we have as transit providers. Certainly, historically, we provide bus services and rail services of all types, but we embrace these changes that are happening because we believe in the long run our agencies and more importantly the communities that we serve are going to be the beneficiaries. So we're seeing all over the country in the U.S. new partnerships evolve with TNCs, in particular testing of autonomous vehicles that's going on, uh, new service initiatives, certainly ticketing uh, and mobile apps that are being developed every day as we talk. So we embrace these, ch- these changes, and we envision a future where uh, the public transportation agencies will evolve into more mobility managers and mobility integrators. I think we have the capabilities for that. We understand what it takes to operate, to manage a workforce very close to our customers and to the communities that we serve. So we think that's the role that agencies will evolve to.
0: That's interesting. Let me ask you one more question along that line. So, mobility as a service, which we were just talking about, where the system becomes an aggregator, we're seeing in cities like Denver where Uber is doing the app that does that. Navigate that for us a little bit. What what do you think is the role of these private sector for-profit? Well, they're not really for-profit, but private sector companies that are um, that are you know stock held or whatever versus uh, the transit agency kind of overseeing that mass approach.
4: Well, you know, it's interesting. Again, I think that there's a lot of experimentation going out there. So people don't really know what is the right answer. They're testing. So you see relationships with uh, a Denver, as you mentioned, going onto an Uber app. We're seeing the reverse happen as well. These things will play out as we get a lot more information and understanding about what's happening. The important thing is, though, the agencies are not sitting still. Right. They're moving. They're experimenting. They're forging new directions. That, I think, is absolutely critical. Just in the last 10 days, I will quickly mention to you, when you mentioned Moss. we uh, We've led a study mission tour here in Europe, and we visited Vienna, Hamburg, and Helsinki specifically to find out what is going on here in Europe relative to mass and mobility as a service. It was a great experience for us. It's one of the reasons that brought us here as well because this is UITP, an international exposition, lots of ideas and expertise here that we've been able to glean over the last few days. It's all about learning. It's a core value for us at APTA to reach out beyond our borders, beyond our limits, understand what's going on, how can we apply these lessons, what can we learn to be better stewards of the resources that come to us to better serve our communities.
0: That's excellent. When we come back, that'll be the question I ask you. All right, Stefan, so tell us what's happening in Switzerland. What are the new cool things you're doing there, your transit system, what are the new technologies that you're adapting to make yourself more customer-centric?
5: What all are doing, we are looking what what's happening on the world. We are looking what is um, the new mass um, things, what are going on. And we try to have new ticketing systems. We try to work with the MicroSense scene, um, this micro scooter uh, things coming on, also in Switzerland. We work close together with the big players, which is um, SPB within Switzerland. We work together doing a common app for all the mass things that you have just watched one app for all the things you have can, can do. And we look what's going on with these things you just mentioned, Uber and all this stuff.
0: So you're you're uh, doing the same thing we're doing in North America Absolutely. then? Absolutely. Experimenting, trying to find out? Yeah. His operation is close to Zurich. Uh, when I visited Peter Schneck and his group Trapeze in, in Switzerland last year, I was, I was able think. to visit the Zurich Operations Control Center. And they showed how they are running a million trips a day with four controllers. Phenomenal use of technology. They actually use our trapeze software to run that whole thing, but uh, the precision, like a Swiss clock, is, I think, what your transit systems are known for. And so, uh, tell us, what is your on-time performance of your bus system?
5: We have um, a day, it will be 50,000 people, just 50,000 people, but even then, it's 50,000 people a day, with 13 lines, um, with 60 buses.
0: And how, and how well are you performing, meeting your headways, meeting your time point management for on-time
5: performance? We have not the same big, but we have also an, a Leitsteller called Leitsteller, as the set you set you saw in Zurich. Mm-hmm. We have just one operator there driving the system. Are you meeting your goals? Yes, for the time being, yes.
0: That's good. Very good. Thank you. All right, David, tell us a little bit um, about what you learned on the trip you were just on. What were your reflections as you visited these three countries he mentioned?
3: Well, I think what we've all come away with on the trip is that we're all in this together. So, you know, Europe has some some areas of MoS that are a little bit more advanced than we are in the States, but I think we're doing a pretty good job in keeping up with how to provide the best customer experience for our customers. One of the differences that I took away, especially from uh, Austria, Vienna, and Hamburg, is that the, the politics there seem to be a little more favorable to making sure that mass transit is the number one option. So when your city government has as one of its top pillars to reduce single car ridership and uh, reduce car ownership, it makes it a little bit easier, I think, as a public transportation agency or a transportation operator to uh, improve your service and gain a little bit more ridership. That's different than we have in the States. We're definitely a car culture. So that's a struggle. But I also found that, uh, again, in both of those cities, when the government decides that it wants to do a project, it makes that decision. It's not like us in the States where, as an agency, we're deciding to do a project and then we have to get government support for that. The city governments made decisions that they were going to expand subway tunnels and expand uh, tram lines. They put the money behind that, and I think they're more in a position then to absorb the, the pushback that comes from the public when construction starts to happen in somebody's backyard. So the, the government, uh, the, the politics is a little bit different than what I, I know we have in the states.
0: That's good, thank you. Brad, I'm gonna ask you the question next. So I prep Brad for this. So as I mentioned when I was in yes. the United Kingdom, bus transportation yes. is done a little different outside of London. London's more similar to how we run it here where they outsource with RFPs or tenders and people bid on it. But outside of London, Bus companies like First and other companies come in, Tower Transit and others, and they'll just say, This is a route I want to run. Right. They put it all together with their headways, with their fares they want to charge. They submit it to the transportation commissioner who reviews it and they start running it. And it's not really subsidized except that uh, the elderly and people with disabilities ride free and so they keep track of them and then they were able to get subsidies back or uh, reimbursement for their ridership. Why can't we do that in the United States?
2: Yeah. Well, it's a great question. As you say, yeah, it is a very different uh, model in uh, in in uh, many ways than, as you say, outside of London uh, predominantly. But remember, it, it, you know, it's all about density. It's all about uh, uh, ridership. And the fact of the matter is there are areas in the U.S., I'm sure, that could operate in that way they have the ridership New York City uh, and Connecticut into New York City as an example you know those are very very uh, uh, the ridership is uh, extremely high on those but the reality of it is in most places we just don't have the ridership. We just don't have that density. We don't have the ability to um, to really pay for the service without getting a subsidy. The reality of it is in the UK, the operators there, they're getting their own facilities. They're usually purchasing their own vehicles, and then they're running the service, and they're competing with other carriers oftentimes on, 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 the, same, uh, on the same routes or similar routes. Um, so I think uh, you know, it, it, it really is just about the density of the population, the ridership, and also the public's willingness to use public transit. And so you see that also in in the UK, so they have all three of those things and that makes that, that system possible. You know, I'd love to see it more in the US and I think, uh, you know, maybe we will as uh, hopefully we get more and more people on public transit, but at the moment I think that uh, there's few and far between those routes that can actually uh, maintain uh, ridership necessary.
0: Well, that's a good point. As Kevin mentioned earlier, he's one of the only systems in North America seeing growth in ridership. The NTD data that came out in the United States showed only like eight systems with increased ridership last year. Of course, you're in Canada, your system now is, and you tell us what your secrets are to that, but you've got a lot more coming on board to help you meet the growing demand. Tell us about what's coming up next for TransLink.
1: Well. Really, I think to a little bit to Brad's point and, and the the ridership dynamics, you've got to link up. And I think everybody around in our business knows that you've got to link up integrated land use planning with with mobility planning. That's the key. It it really is. You can't you can't develop your transportation system, particularly your public transit services, in a vacuum from land use and vice versa. If we've got aggressive land use um, development objectives, building out centers, preserve agricultural land is very, very important in a fairly confined geographic area like the Vancouver region. We've got to concentrate populations in certain areas and then provide excellent transportation connections. Some of it, of course, by driving, but a lot of it by public transportation. By doing that, you're going to drive the density, you're going to drive the demand for the transportation system that starts to create a far more cost-effective transportation system and drives even more political demand public demand for growing that transportation system. We've got in every single corner of our region huge demands to continue to grow out the system. We're looking at building a gondola. We want to build out more wow. waterborne um, uh, transportation. It would replace buses and it would be faster, higher capacity, and and of course it'd be zero emission uh, with, with the electrification of the gondola. Clearly the electrification of our rolling stock is important and it's, you know, I've been coming to conferences like this, APTA Expo, for years, every single purveyor of of rolling stock, it's all about electrification now and, you know, in the next decade how automation is going to disrupt and affect um, our services. And it's both sides. It's this sort of heaven and hell um, thing with with automation. Um, Are we going to see more and more cars on the street in continuous motion? Automated Ubers and Lyfts and so forth that are actually just clogging up our streets. What's going to happen with the rules of engagement on our sidewalks and parking along the curb and the streets. We've got to confront that in this next decade with all these disruptive technologies and mobility services. I think it's going to force us to rethink how we use the street. To Paul's point, this is absolutely the most exciting time um, to be in the transportation business because um, it's cool, we've got great new technologies coming, but we have a lot of questions that we still have to solve because the pathway could take us in different directions and some of those directions, frankly, can be pretty Negative. And I think, you know, we're at this cutting edge of how to make sure we get positive outcomes that are sustainable, that provide a better quality of life for people, and we can just keep people moving in our cities.
0: Wow. I think I'm ready to vote for him <laughs>
1: for something. You're
0: not running for mayor, are you? <laughs> okay. All right. Let me jump down to Paul then. and And We talked about what's happening in Canada. Tell us what's happening in Helsinki, Finland, and places like that, and what can we learn from them, Paul? Well,
4: I'll tell you what. I came away with a number of observations, but let me just touch on one that I think is extraordinarily important. Each of those cities have well-developed public transport systems. They carry a large number of people. They have a large modal share in public transport. Each of them, however, are not sitting still thinking we're doing a great job, we don't have to do anything else. Each of them are continuing to look for ways to innovate, to do some things differently. And if I have one message to carry back, among many, it will be this notion that, look, let's not sit still, let's not think what we do today is adequate for the future, let's find new ways to better serve our customers and better serve our communities. Having said all that, there's innovation going on, as David touched on a moment ago, uh, new mobile apps being developed, comprehensively bundling services. Who knows if they're really going to work? Anybody that tells you 100% this is the answer, I think, is you got to take that with a grain of salt, if I say. But I will say that I commend those who are testing new ways to do business. And that's what's happening in the U.S. today as well. We see agency upon agency. Kevin, of course, talked about his organization. But throughout the United States, there's a lot of innovation going on. And part of our responsibility and my responsibility at APTA is to make sure that our members, our stakeholders, our decision makers understand the innovation that's really going on uh, that will
0: change change and transform the way we do business. That's great. My last question in just a minute, so think about it, is going to be, if we could do one new great innovation for transportation, what would it be and why? So, think about that. And we're going to hand it off to you now. And um, can you tell us uh, about the role of a board and a board chairman in a minute or two or three about what? what is the role in a transit agency of a board? You set policy or what are we doing there?
3: So I think the role, in the United States anyway, I think the role of a board is to work very closely with the CEO in setting policy and direction. And then it's the CEO's job along with his or her senior staff to carry out that direction. So the boards really operate at a high level. We're looking at long term, certainly not to get in the weeds. We don't want to do this, the CEO's job, we don't want to do the staff's job, but it's important that we set and then support the decisions that we make for how we are moving the agency forward. In the states, a lot of us come to be board members by virtue of political connections. So we also contend to help at the state level with the advocacy piece. We may be even closer sometimes to a political elected official or officials than our own CEO may be. So it helps to open those doors and to carry the message and to, to bring support. So, you know, the boards the boards do advocacy work. It's certainly not our day job. I mean, I spend, my, my board at, at Albany, I might spend uh, maybe ten Ten hours a month, you know, with committee meetings and phone calls and that kind of thing. But it's not not a heavy lift by any means. We have a nice mix of uh, board members that bring different disciplines to the board table. I'm an accountant. We have uh, somebody who's an insurance agent. We have somebody who's an executive director of a not-for-profit. So, we have a nice mix of uh, different disciplines and bring different amounts of expertise to the board table. That's great. You wrote a book about this, didn't you? I did. Actually, uh, Doug Eady is a close friend and a consultant that I've worked with at CDTA three different times over the time I've been on the board. And together we co-authored a book on building a solid, relation, solid board CEO partnership. What's and the name of the book? Building a Solid Board CEO Partnership. <laughs> and it's, it's designed for uh, uh, not only CEOs and transit board members, but for uh, someone who might be aspiring to be a CEO. It's a very simple read. It's an easy read. It's not technical. A lot of common sense and uh, seven chapters. So, not not a heavy lift to get through.
0: Very good. Thank you. Stefan, let's go down to you. And um, tell us about the, uh, do you have a board there at your transit agency? Yes, we have a board, yeah. Can you tell me about that and how you're funded there in Switzerland? What's the funding sources that come in besides the fare box?
5: To be honest, I had the opportunity to build the board together with other people. They are um, not politicians They are really just professionals. Ah, okay. And then we look for that we have all the professions we need to have in a board. And that was the, 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 the reason to have this board. We have It's five people, one woman, five guys, one is a lawyer, then we have an, an advocate, we have an, um, an, um, an finalist and two entrepreneurs. And how is your agency funded? Where do, you, where do you get the money to run it? We are founded by Eight Communion. That's it. Just eight. Eight communities contribute money to yes. your budget?
0: Yes, yes, And do you have to go before those
5: community commissioners or whatever each year and pitch your case? No, we are, we are financed by the canton at the end of the day. That's our, um, let's say, founder. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Very good. Yeah. Thank you. All right, Brad?
0: Let's get, let's get a question to you. First Transit is a contracting company, and you're our representative kind of of contracting companies. Tell us about how that works in America. We just talked about but uh, three- to five-year contracts. What, uh, give us some best practices. Anything you want to talk about the, the contracting experience and maybe why it makes sense. A lot of people now are exploring not only outsourcing ADA paratransit, but some systems. I mean, Wamada just recently, uh, my buddy Paul Wiedefeld, just outsourced a whole raft of... Um, fixed-route service. And a lot of systems are starting to do that. Talk about that for a minute.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, you know, listen, in in the U.S., uh, really, you've got two choices. You can operate uh, your service in-house, or you can choose to contract it out. It's just one or the other. I think there's uh, pluses and minuses to both, obviously. Contracting, yeah, three to five year contracts, although uh, FTA regs will allow you to go a little bit longer now. We are seeing some longer term contracts, and that's uh, that's a good thing. It allows you to kind of get a, get a you know, really uh, a longer, uh, uh, you know, longer range plans in place and things like that, and that's always nice. I would say that, uh, you know, certainly speaking from the private uh, sector, from the, private, from the contracting side, I believe that, uh, you know, we bring a lot to the table when we come to a community, because we have, uh, you know, the expertise, and we have of uh, of uh, folks who have that expertise to bring to bear into the community. Oftentimes, uh, whether it's a, a big system where we can, uh, you know, we've got the experience in other places, we can share best practices between some of the things we experience in other areas, or whether it's a small system where they just don't have the resource there to be able to really provide all the uh, the service in the way that they would like to. We think we bring that uh, that to bear. Certainly, uh, when you look at uh, our ability to deal with. Uh, maybe Maintenance issues and things like that. Certainly, our ability to to, just because of all the of all the purchasing that we're doing. We're obviously buying, I run 13,000 vehicles. We buy a lot of, uh, a lot of tires and a lot of oil filters and, and things like that, certainly. Uh, we bring that to bear. Our ability uh, to deal with complex uh, um, labor relations issues, employment issues, things like that. So, I think just the fact that this is what we do, we do it in a, a, a whole variety of places, a whole variety of, uh, uh, of size uh, environments, and we can bring all of those best practices, we can bring all of that experience to bear, is the advantage you get when you contract uh, with a, with, a, with a company
0: and you probably don't want to say this, so I'll say it for you. Having worked for 15 years in that, in those companies, another thing they bring is the ability to pay what it takes to get top talent. I know in public transit agencies, other than the CEO and even there, it's not always the highest salaries. But at the mid-level management level, they're paying 70 dollars dollars $90,000 a year. It's very difficult to get the top-level talent that a private sector company come in and pay 120, dollars dollars and be able to get people who have real experience. And there's around 250 people, at least in the United States, States that just cycle through all these top <laughs> jobs and, uh, and get a lot of experience. So, that's, I think, another benefit of those companies. Thank you. All right. We've got about 10 minutes left, a little less than 10 minutes, for our uh, global CEO roundtable. So, I'm going to ask an important question. It's about the future. We like to end on the future. So, if there is one new great technology or great new innovation, Kevin, you can think of that would really improve transit, what would it be and why?
1: If I had the answer to that, I would have one of these beautiful, very, very expensive uh, locations right in the middle of the floor, just like uh, Trapeze has. So I, I don't know that I've got anything that's particular brilliant, particularly brilliant. I think, you know, Paul made the point of what this thing called mobility of, as a surface is. It's a hot phrase. It's a catchword or, or acronym now. We don't know necessarily what it is, but I think we know where we want to go with that. And I'll take one uh, one sliver of that. In our In Vancouver, uh, there had been a study done a couple of years ago that, <clears throat> that showed on, it, on a per capita basis, Vancouver was the shared transportation capital of the world. We have these, the, in the city, people are wired to have their car-to-go membership, their, their bike share membership, and a compass card in, in, their, in their pocket. But outside of the denser, hipper urban core, where we still have to penetrate and improve transit market share, we still need to do a lot of work. So, on the mobility as a service front, I'm really eager to figure out how to partner with the various different providers to solve the first mile, last mile. And as we see what happens with automation in the future, we have displays here of the small automated pods. I think that's going to drive market share. Certainly in North America, we we don't necessarily have the density of here in Europe, and so that would be where I'd I'd plant my my anchor, is how do we, we continue to find ways to partner, to Solve that problem using that common uh, platform known as the
2: Mobility as a Service platform.
0: Thank you, very good. Brad, how about you?
2: Yeah, I would I would echo uh, what Kevin said. I mean, certainly, mobility as a service. When you look at it, it really is what we're all going towards. And as Kevin said, you know, we know we know what we want. We know what the end is. It's how we get there that is the hard part. But I think um, you know, really, to be able to uh, to utilize all of the transportation resources that are out there and coordinate them all, and all this new technology that's coming to bear, tie all that together. To me, is uh, is you know, if we can. If we can get that, we can get that right. That will change things dramatically. Um, so having, uh, you know, you know, Kevin, Kevin, some ability as a service. I would go back also to AV and say that AV, there are amazing things. I think that are going to come about from AV. And as I said earlier, a lot of them are, uh, you know, the obvious. Uh, you know, the ability to have to have vehicles out and to reduce your labor costs and all of, all of those things that come along with it. But the secondary benefit of AV, I think, is is equally important. It's all the great things that are coming. As a result of the technology that we're using for AV, that are going to be able to be utilized even in manned driving and when we have people driving uh, vehicles, we're already seeing that in the technology that's coming out. And uh, if we can be safer on the roads, you know, we have to be cognizant all the time. You know, we are operating in congested areas with pedestrians, with bicycles, with motorcycles, with with other vehicles. That has to be our number one concern. And what we're seeing AV is just an amazing amount of technology that's coming out that is going to help. Help us to avoid that, avoid collisions and avoid uh, injuring uh, people in the community.
0: That's great. So, we're coming up on the 50th anniversary of the moonshot, right? And all the ancillary benefits that came out of the research uh, of getting a man on the moon. The same kind of thing is happening with AV, you're saying. That's really good. I mean, Tang was one of the best things that came out of that, right? No, just, all right, show my age. All right, David, uh, what, what, if we could have one new great innovation from your perspective that would
3: help public transportation mobility, what would it be and why? So Paul this isn't it isn't new innovation but it's diff- using current technology differently. I think one of the one of the barriers that people have to riding public transit in the US is that we don't make it easy. It's not easy to pay for it, it's not easy to figure out all the time and it's not always easy to get from point A to point B. You can get part of the trip. So in my perfect world, if I could take a page from the TNCs and have an app that allowed me to map out my transit trip, pay for it, and know that I'm gonna get, I may use different modes to get from point A to point B, but I wanna make it simple. And I think reducing that barrier or eliminating that barrier to make it easier for people to ride is what would help us to grow our ridership with with one piece of existing technology, albeit used differently.
0: That's great. And Stefan, I'm going to let you go so I can give Paul the
5: last word. So go ahead. Okay. I think Paul, beam me up. That would be the greatest answer of the future. Now I think what, what, um, what could be very innovative, going to the third dimension. I think public transport will also go to the air. I guess that could be one of the solutions for the future. Which is what you're looking to do, it, right, with gondolas. There you go. Yeah, Not the Jetsons yet, but they're
0: coming, right? Yeah. All right, Paul, give us the last word, brother. Well, listen, I, first of all, I have every
4: confidence that our industry is smart enough that we're going to be able to leverage all the technology that's here for the benefit of our riders and our communities. What I would suggest is you can call it innovation. I think it has the greatest potential for making a, an immediate impact. And we're seeing this happen in the U.S., I'm sure it's happening elsewhere, and that is our agencies reimagining their bus networks, redesigning their bus networks, finding ways to speed up the travel. What has been happening over the last few years is congestion is growing, as we've talked about here in our city centers. It's slowing up bus traffic. It's making the bus less attractive to people. It's causing lots of delays. We have to find ways to move those buses faster. And while we're doing that, think about how we're delivering those services, whether it's through public or private uh, operation. But I think that holds a great promise for being able to make a direct impact in the immediate while all the other things sort themselves out and we adapt to the new technologies.
0: That's beautiful. Brass tacks, baby. This is how we make it happen today, right? Very good. Let's give our panel a round of applause. You guys want to stand up? Thank you so much, uh, our guests and you for being here part of our worldwide global live transit unplug CEO panel.
1: You've been listening to Transit Unplugged, powered by Trapeze Group. To stay up to date, subscribe on iTunes or Google Play, or join the conversation at transitunplugged.com. Thanks for listening.